Kia ora, no mai, haere mai, and welcome to the Able Audio Podcast. Music technology provides musicians with exciting ways of making and recording music, but so often, both musicians and technology companies leave out the needs of disabled peoples. I'm Sam Morgan, a musician and producer based in Te Whanganui Atara, Wellington and Aotearoa, New Zealand. I have a degenerative eye condition, which has meant that over the last few years, attending shows and going to gigs has become increasingly difficult. I'm also having to work out what it means for me in the coming years if I'm to lose my sight, how will I continue to make music in such a computer-focused space. This podcast seeks to bring to light the exciting work people are doing in this space, elevating the voices and concerns of disabled people and music technology. In each episode, I talk to a different music technologist about their practice, background in music, and how their work interacts with the world of disability. Welcome to the Able Audio Podcast, proudly brought to you by the New Zealand Music Commission. In this episode, we talk to Matt McLaren. Matt is a musician, music producer, and sound designer based in Australia. Since 2010, Matt has run his own recording studio, SM Productions, and has been busy recording and producing local and national artists, providing services ranging from producing, scoring, multimedia, jingles, and songwriting. Beyond his production work, Matt can regularly be seen around Newcastle with his keyboard and microphone performing at a range of local venues, weddings, corporate events, and functions. In this episode, I talk with Matt about his use of music technology and the way he navigates those experiences as someone who is blind. Matt discusses using various digital audio workstations, approaches to using analog hardware, among much more. Here is my conversation with Matt. My name is Matt McLaren. I'm from Newcastle, Australia, which is on the East Coast. Uh, I run a recording company called S&M Productions, and we're based here in the city. So I'm by what I was. Like, <laughs> I, I grew up playing keyboard, is what I'm trying to say. Um, I learned classical piano as a kid, and um, as when I sort of moved out of home and finished school and that sort of thing, I started gigging. Um, and on the side, I was doing a bit of audio production. Um, so obviously, audio production and music sort of go hand in hand, and technology and all that sort of stuff. It's all sort of interwoven. Um, and I started my little studio out of my house and a little bedroom, <laughs> a spare bedroom, um, and started sort of doing a bit, a bit of audio production and sound design for some of my overseas companies. Um, first up volunteer, but then um, ended up doing some paid work, which was great. And from that, I started meeting people here locally and started recording musicians. And um, when I moved into a slightly bigger house, I converted up quite a bit of that into a recording studio. Um, still pretty amateur hour, but you know, it was, it was great fun and learned a lot. Um, but in sort of 2009, 2010, I uh, was lucky enough to work under a producer who ran a, quite a uh, big studio here, uh, about an hour from where I am now. And he taught me a hell of a lot, sometimes throwing me just in the deep end and <laughs> seeing how I went. But yeah. Um, but yeah, he taught me heaps of stuff. And then uh, from that, I've just I've just fallen in love with recording music and working with musicians and um, mm. moved into the facility I'm now in 2016. And yeah. um, been here ever since. And uh, you have a disability? Yes, I'm completely blind. Um, yeah. I was born blind, and mm. I've got like a bit of light perception in one eye, but it's not like mm. it's not usable vision sort of thing. You know what I mean? I've got yeah, a guide yeah. Dog. His name's Indy, and he's over there having a sleep. You might hear him snore later on. So you didn't study sound engineering? No, I, I did go to TAFE for a little while um, when I first moved out of, out of home and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, which do you guys have TAFE over there? It's like a technical college sort of thing. We I have mains. Sure, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I did about six months there, but I was already sort of doing the work. 
anyway and I was mm. finding it was actually getting in the way of doing the job that I sort of wanted to do anyway so um, uh, I ended up not pursuing that further which makes me a dropout but that's fine mm. um, it's a, it's such an interesting industry like that I reckon like you know qualifications um, like I've got a guy that works for me Cormac he's uh, my assistant engineer and he's done a, the full uni degree on mm. um, audio and music and stuff and he's a terrific engineer but we just really reached the same place or heading in the same direction um, with completely different paths it's definitely an industry that doesn't need qualifications um, mm. not saying they're not valid but it's you know it's a uh, yeah it's everyone's got their own path I guess it's very it's not like becoming a lawyer where you have to go through x y and z to get there yeah my friend um, Ra who's uh, also blind he um, he went and did a sound engineering course but his experience wasn't a very good one because there were mm you know sitting down with the tutors and uh they obviously had no clue on on um sort of assistive technologies and stuff like that or how to use a screen reader and what software is to use so yeah apparently they kind of sat them down and were just like we can't you can't you can't do that sort of thing (laughs) (laughs) i mean that is part of the issue too with with tertiary uh, Mm. especially in in specialist fields like this there isn't the information i mean the information is out there but it's not the teachers don't know it and mm. they have no real way of knowing it unless they really go above and beyond and sort of go and chat to people in the industry and learn about it. Um, and even then, like the way I use my DAW is is miles away from how someone else would use the yeah. same DAW, you know what I mean? So it's, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's a tricky one. So when you were learning classical piano, were you yep. um, using Braille music? No, or? I did all of it by ear until I was about, so I started when I was three. Yeah, I was one of those kids, nerd. Far out. Um, and um, I sort of um, did, did all by ear. My, my piano teacher would record you know, pieces onto tape and um, just like slow them down a bit. And I'd learn from that and um, memorize it and then play it back. And um, then I did do a little bit of brown music, but I never took to it when I was yeah. sort of like, like 10 or 11 because it was just quicker for me to hear it and go, I've got perfect pitch so I can just hear that like that's an E and that's a F and that's a Q. You know, yeah. it's, um, it, it just, yeah, um, it was always quicker to do that. So I much preferred to do it that way. But I mean, it probably would have helped to have some more <laughs> proud music knowledge. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. Who knows? And, <laughs> and with that perfect pitch, does that help with um, EQing? Like, can you hear, oh, that's 375 hertz. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a good out. party trick. But maybe yeah. For people that like that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it is handy like that. Um, you hear like rings in, in a snare drum, you know, it's like, oh, that's 200 hertz or 90. Yeah. It's, it's not to the hurt, but it's like probably 15. Around 20. about. Yeah, yeah. So what kind of setup are you running at the moment? Okay, so um, a computer building. Uh, it's very cool setup here. And I've got my own studio space, which I've been able to. It was just an empty concrete box when I moved in. Um, and then it was, you know, about 30 meters square. So I built in here like a room in a room to get the sound isolation and all the rest of it. And I've got a booth, which is about, you know, uh, three by three. And then a control room, which is about five by five. And the it's it's pretty well soundproof. Like it's about as good as I can do without losing too much space. And basically I've got a um, just a, a glass partition between the two areas and um, we sort of record just about everything except for drums. Uh, we outsource for drums or just use virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, eventually one day it'd be nice to move into a bigger space, but it's been served us really well, this, this place now. Mm. Um, I'm running, running Reaper on a PC 
He's using NVDA. And um, uh, what else have I got? Oh, all sorts of out, outboard gear and that sort of stuff I've collected over the years. Some nice preamps and a few nice microphones and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of what I do is in the box these days. Um, less, you know, I try to get, like, if I'm recording vocals or something, I run them through an ice pre on the way in and then I got an ISO 430, which I really like, the focus right thing. Yeah. Um, that's really nice. Um, and that gets it good on the way in. And from there, it's most of it's in the box. My insistent engineer was actually complaining today that I haven't got the outboard gear set up to like run in as inserts out on channels and stuff. And I, I, I told him I'd get it sorted for him. I remember, oh, I've got a degenerative eye condition. So it's kind of, and there's no kind of time frame on it. So my thing is, uh, I remember before I started studying music technology, I was like, Okay, looking up how much twenty-four track reel to reels costs and like oh big, God. big mixing consoles and all this because oh, it's all tactile. No. So most mm. people would assume that a blind sound engineer would use a lot of hardware. Um, but just for the listeners, can you, I suppose, disprove that? <clears throat> well, put it this way. When I record a live gig, so I record some of my live performances just for social media content and stuff, mm. I literally grab the laptop off stage at the end of a set, take it over to the table, stick some headphones in my ears and mix the multi-track from the last set in, you know, just quick, just grab, you know, a, a, a minute long section, mix it, export it, jump it onto SoundCloud or whatever, and um, I'm ready to go back on in, you know, at the end of my break. So it absolutely can be all done on the keyboard. Uh, yep. like a computer keyboard sorry as far as mixing and stuff goes uh, when you're programming MIDI and stuff that's it's obviously it's easier for everybody to have a controller a MIDI controller yep. for that I do have a um, a 24 channel um, Icon Pro X interface uh, like controller interface here with yep. motorized faders and stuff which does make mixing much more tactile and, and friendly but I, I think it, it's definitely not a necessity like I could definitely do it without it it just makes life easier to do stuff tactilely and I, I think that's not necessarily being blind I think that's just yeah. everybody prefers to have hands on control like that like to grab a bunch of faders and move them um, relatively to each other you know at the same time mm. you can't achieve that with a mouse or a keyboard anyway so mm, mm. You know, kind um, of this... guessing automation and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Like drawing and automation and, and mm. finalizing your mix and stuff like that. You, you, it's with a mouse or keyboard, you sort of have to do it one at a time kind of thing, which is a bit gross. Yeah. Um, and I think you've just got much more of a, um, oh, what's the word? Like like a musical sort of feel to it. It's more of like performance rather than just um, drawing as, you know, automation curves and all the rest of it. So that's my theory on it anyway. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I did used to use big analog consoles in the studio I, was, I used to work in. And um, look, it was good and bad. Like, yeah. it's I think I prefer working in the box, honestly. So that's basically my setup and just like, you know, some nice monitors and all the rest of that sort of stuff you know all the things you need uh, so you use reaper Have, did you always kind of use reaper or did you start off with kind of like a old porter studio or i started off um with windows sound recorder no. <laughs> <laughs> i did it's true um yeah. when i was a kid and that was all i could use um yeah. but my first real daw was cake pro cake Walk pro audio 9 yeah and um that was a that was a time. Yeah. Um, it was a long time ago now. And then I moved to Cakewalk Sonar, and I used that for many years because um, there wasn't really many options. There was Pro Tools had limited accessibility and all the other, like Cubase was completely out of the question. Mm. Um, it was just not, not done. Um, nowadays, we've got, we're sport for choice with DAWs. But yeah, probably about maybe 10 years ago, I, I moved to Reaper and have not looked back. Um, yeah. I've used Logic a bit, and that's something on my Mac, and uh, a bit of Pro Tools, and they're all fine, but uh, Reaper's definitely my... my door of choice 
and it's cheap as well. I think it, it is cheap, but it's not even about that, man. Like I honestly would pay so much more for Reaper than I paid for it. It's yeah. so customizable, and here's me. Here we go. Here's the Reaper rant. But like <laughs> it, it, it's so customizable and so like it's updated every week, like just about. You know, it's so oh, yeah. um. The, the you basically you request a feature or something, and it's in the next version. Like it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And as um, far as accessibility, they're very aware of it, and they does ever anything broken, they're they're more than happy to sort it out, and they sort it out really quickly. And a few people I know overseas in the UK have got really good relationships with the developers, and that makes such a difference. And yeah. you know, we don't have that with Avid, do we? Mm, yeah, I, I think it's the same way with a lot of companies like that. Um, we make up blind, low vision people make up such a small um, percentage of the people who use them so it's kind of like well wh why would i oh, i don't know man i don't know if it's that much for a small percentage i wish mm. i could talk mm. um, <laughs> um i don't know if I think it is that small of a percentage like the stats on how many people are visually impaired not just blind but low vision and need yeah. some sort of assistive tech to use technology is staggering like yeah um i can't remember the stats off the top of my head but i saw something about this the other day and it's it, it's not a small subset. Like, take it for example, um, Native Instruments added a some speech feedback to their complete control keyboards. I have one right here. Yeah. And um, this is a few years back now. And all of a sudden, literally, like, I know hundreds of people who bought that keyboard. Yeah. Um, and that's just in the small community I am not even a part of. So yeah. adding access, like, okay, hundreds of sales may not be that big of a deal for Native Instruments. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Mm. I would say it would be considerably more than that. Mm. But it's still, like, they're loyal user bases. They update their software every year you know like mm. it's um because essentially there's not that many options out there for like there's there's no equivalent to complete control out there and it also i don't know how much you've used it or whatever but you can also wrap other virtual instruments into that yeah um, software through nks so it's it's quite powerful and it, look it has its limitations and there's some things that would be lovely if they could sort out mm. if you're listening <laughs> mm. <laughs> um but uh but it, it is possibly the best option we have for that kind of um ecosystem at the moment and, and so, yeah, like, I mean, I've upgraded every year since Complete 9 or something, whenever it came out, mm. and uh, it's not cheap stuff. No. Uh, so I, I think there definitely is value, and in, in the, the the old attitude of, oh, well, there's not that many blind people out there doing it is, is not real because we don't even know how many blind people want to do it. Mm -mm. I think it's, um, uh, this is me just guessing, but it, it, it would, um, you would assume it is uh, quite an inaccessible field, um, especially if you don't know how to use a screen reader. One thing I think about a lot is the lack of sort of education out there for using uh, and getting up and running so like if you were to watch a YouTube video on how to use a piece of hardware, uh, I looked at quite a lot of them for the complete control keyboards and they kind of, if you watch them and you, you close your eyes, they'll kind of say, and just, and then press this button. And there's no, <laughs> no, um, yeah, audio description of, uh, top left hand corner, um, the button down. Do you think there needs to be a bit more education? Um, like, it's um, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because like it's uh, oh, Indy's awake. Where are you going, mate? Go wonder, <laughs> all right. So, yeah. It's a it's a tricky one because I mean the alternative is like I tend to just go straight to user manuals rather than watching YouTube videos. So like and they I mean it still can be the same problem though. Like they can have diagrams which we can't aren't accessible anyway. I I think 
I, I don't know if I have an answer to that because I don't think audio description is necessarily the answer either because it's just like it wouldn't necessarily be practical. I think just just good documentation and, and that has to come from the company, I suppose. Like, you know, if they're building accessibility into their products, um, I know for Complete Control, for example, there's a section in the manual to, um, dedicated to accessibility and yep. it describes which buttons you have to press and that sort of thing. So that, like that's, that's pretty intuitive. I know there's some YouTube tutorials out that are user made about how to use it and what to do and how to navigate and whatever. So I guess there's that. It, yeah, it's, I don't think it's a one size fits all solution um, mm. in, in any of this stuff, I think, it's, uh, which is why it makes it so bloody hard. Mm-mm-mm. I asked Matt whether or not there needed to be more music technology education available specifically for visually impaired people and for younger people who are wanting to make music like trap or house. Okay, well, let's look at how a sighted person would learn how to make trap music, right? They're going to jump on YouTube and they're going to watch loads of videos. And they're going to get their free copy of Ableton out of a cereal box yeah. and they're going to whack them in their machine and off they go and they're going to be dragging stuff around. It's just going to be experimentation. Mm. And I think that's what that genre is. I don't think there's necessarily a way to, to teach how to start with all that stuff, which mm. is where the issue falls is, is that, like, you know, Ableton isn't accessible at all mm. last I checked and that's what all the, that's what everyone's using for that sort of stuff either that or logic logic is accessible up to a point I haven't used it for a little while I've heard there's been some pretty good things happening with logic I personally found it kind of clunky on a, on a Mac um, with voiceover I just found it to be not super responsive and maybe because I've come from a, like a, a very different background of DAWs I just couldn't find stuff and yep. didn't have the patience to figure it out but I know that people are making stuff with a new like loop grid and stuff like that on, on Logic because it's um it's similar to an Ableton kind of vibe so I guess the answer to the question is I don't know whether an official course is the answer maybe more resources out there like YouTube resources and stuff like that so to get people started so they can start experimenting themselves because uh, everyone wants to do it a course either like it's it feels like every day there's another bloody course popping up on don't you see them on facebook all the time or instagram like the course ads for you know you know you could sell beats for a million dollars each tomorrow yeah. if you just take yeah. this three thousand dollar course and uh i sound very cynical i don't mean no to. no <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i think maybe there still needs to be more free resources like you know yeah um how how do people and and people actually doing it not just talking about it actually sitting there doing it that's the way the best stuff i've learned is like watching people actually operate in the studio and it because it gives you that especially someone's blind in the studio because it mm. gives you that like uh feeling of oh that they're doing this this is achievable mm. you know mm. it's um and maybe that's part of the problem with the with the question is that it's when sighted people want to make beats or whatever they just see their, their mates or whatever making beats or their idols on youtube or whatever making beats and they go yeah i can do that because i've got a computer and i've got a free copy of ableton live and six loops i downloaded yeah. um i can make anything and they can jump in there and screw around and get their stuff done so maybe it's more about the belief of what's possible mm. and, the, and the education of what's possible um mm. so people can go and find their own way because like i mean how did i get into it because there was no youtube when i started but i wasn't i don't know i guess i was just really I was stubborn yeah <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's, it's impossibly frustrating at times too. It's so much better now mm. than it ever was before. But I remember back in the pro audio days, Capricorn pro audio, it was it was a bloody nightmare. There was no accessibility. It was like clicking around the screen randomly with the jaws cursor and hoping for the best half the time, and you'd find yeah. the stuff that worked, and off you went. But like, mm. and also wasn't the online resources at all. Like, I didn't have the internet back then at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's everyone's got their own starting path, and I think the problem with a course, whilst it might be valuable to some, it wouldn't be valuable to many or all. 
But I think like people getting out there doing YouTube series and stuff like that, that could be helpful. I know there's some great resources like WhatsApp groups and, you know, email lists and stuff like that where people are constantly posting what they're working on. There's one for complete control. I think it's KK Access. I'm pretty sure yeah. Chris Ankin started it. Uh, like, there's one for Reaper. There's one for Logic. There's one for Pro Tools, I'm sure. And so all these people doing stuff, I mean, that's, you know, being around your peers who are doing, you're talk, you know, you're talking about peers, that, that's the same sort of thing, isn't it? They're, they're achieving it. They're doing it. Um, mm. And, and do you have um any tips or tricks or is it an issue for you with um signal flow you just so, kind of go down the line i uh, like finding issues yeah absolutely so uh, we we're only doing this this morning we we're setting up a new piece of hardware and i had to climb down behind the desk and like we're running at 128 channel interface here and it's all like connected to different areas in the studio and it's routed through different preamps and stuff and it's been a couple of years since i set it up i'm like oh god how does this set up again i cannot remember it all yeah. <laughs> and um get back then there's like this is snakes of cables like really big thick snake of snakes of cabling and stuff all cable tied and i must have got a free box of cable ties or something i went a bit cable tie nuts yeah. and when i did set it up it's just i mean it's very neat but it's yeah. you can't get to anything and it was very much like okay, i need to think about this very laterally like I think that's the right word. You know, this is coming from channel 19 and it's yep. going to this patch bay and it's coming out of the patch bay and it's going through there and it's going into the preamp and it's coming out of the preamp and into the Dante interface. It's going to the D sub cables into the interface. And it is just like, it literally is, it's not as complicated as it sounds. It's just like signal flow. It's just this goes, this goes, this goes, this, and it only goes one direction. So in, in, in those, in audio anyway. And so it is just a matter of just taking your time with it and you get quicker at it like, because you just sort of, and I think also if you're hearing, if there's crackling or issues like that, I hope this is the question you're actually asking. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. If there's crackling and stuff like that, like nowadays I can hear it and know what, uh, what that issue is straight away. Like, is that a loose cable? Is it mm. a broken cable? Is it phantom power screwing up? Is it, um, you know, you can sort of hear what the sort what the acoustic, set, like the properties of the distortion or crackling is, and you can usually pick it up pretty quick. Mm. One of the biggest issues I have is metering. Um, before uh, yeah. it goes into the box so it's fine reaper can read meters that's totally fine but i'm talking about on like the preamps and stuff like that when i want to get them in the in the sweet spot mm. um so a lot of that have to do just audibly mm. and um I'm, I'm pretty pretty good with it but it is like i you know it, i don't have the security of being able to look at the leds to to check myself it's purely on, on like what's audible and then yeah. checking the meters in reaper um yeah but if there's if it you know, it could cause issues with gain staging if I do it wrong. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> this is just blue sky thinking. Um, there's a lot of talk about sort of, you know, if everything was built with uh, inclu- uh, I think, uh, universal design practices, um, mm. you know, those ha- hardware preamps, I don't know if this would ever work, but, you know, the hardware kind of having, uh, I don't know, voiceover built in, uh, that that would be pretty, pretty out the gate to, to include. Yeah. But um, I mean... The- the only way I think you could sort of do it is maybe like a like a tone, you know, mm. like a um like a just a sine wave that could represent the peaks of of your input. Um, like an so an audible sine wave tone that would peak, you know, you'd hear it, and when it got to you know a certain pitch, you would know that you're hitting the red. But that would only work for peak metering. It wouldn't work yeah. for RMS. Um, yeah. So you know, it's it's complicated. <laughs> but I mean, look, in saying that, I've never really had a problem. I've never like nothing's ever gone in clipping. Yeah. Like it's it's you know like or if it has, I've corrected it straight away. Like I've heard it straight away. Yeah. So maybe just a matter of learning the what things sound like and what they should sound like and finding the the sweet spot and all the gear and mm. and going with that. Yeah. It's but yeah, like, universal design is um is a great idea and it'd be wonderful if it if it like could come into practice. So but I, again, I I don't have the answers to that either. So no. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
know, <laughs> leave it to the experts. That's right. Um, so how does uh, kind of editing audio files work for you um, with yep. Reaper? Um, that's one of the things that immediately drew me to Reaper is how easily you can scrub through audio and edit and mm. cut and crossfade and slip edit and all the wonderful things that we're able to do. You know, you, you can zoom in and out of the project and then use the arrow keys to scrub and the responsiveness is so good. Oh, and you wow. can get right in there and you can, you know, get down to, you know, very, 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 very small um, sections of audio and yeah. uh, it's all audible. You can get speech feedback if you want it, but I, you, I have it turned off most of the time for scrubbing because I just use, like, prefer to use my ears to find the peaks and things. Yeah. And um, then once you can snip the items, I think, is it clips in Pro Tools? Let's see, what's the equivalent? I don't use Pro Tools. But... Oh, okay. What do you yeah. use? Uh, logic, yeah. Oh, okay. What's it in Logic then? Um, objects uh, or something? Regions, I think. Yeah, Maybe. right. So it's just like your audio, anything that's on a track is an item. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so you cut them up into multiple items and you can crossfade them. So say you're doing a vocal comp. <clears throat> Excuse me. Say you're doing a vocal comp, you know, you might have three takes of the vocals and I basically listen through. There's, I listen to like line by line or whatever. Um, is if there's a word I don't like, I just go to that word, scrub to that, hit um, whatever it is. <laughs> it's funny, like I never remember hotkeys, but I do them all the time. I just, but I can't actually remember doing mm. it. Hang on, let's figure this out. Um, so we go, yeah. So we go. Now I can't do it at all. So it's, oh, sorry, A to split. <laughs> I'm a professional. I promise. Yeah. It's funny, like use muscle memory. You just don't think what else. So you hit A to split, and then I select the item with the word I don't like. Hit T, and it cycles through the takes. And so yeah. all of, I'm flipping through takes, and it's super fast. Like. I've never used a piece of software that I could operate as quickly as I can use Reaper. And then you crossfade it with the one before, you just drag the item to the left a little bit and you get a nice little crossfade and you're on through the next edit. So, you know, it, yeah. it's it's super intuitive. How does it work in Logic? I've never done any like serious audio in Logic. Yeah, I, I kind of still have, um, I use kind of like a Zoom zoom thing, um, magnifier. Yep. So oh, okay. right. I can still do that, but I'm not sure, you know, this is part of why I'm doing the podcast is kind of like ah, reassuring myself. It's, uh, it's all going to be, it's all going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, do you use any other assistive technologies at all? So you use nah, complete just, just control? NVDA. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And complete control. Yeah, I guess. Um, but NVDA is the primary screen reader I use. Um, I've looked at getting a braille display just for reading meters. I thought that might be a cool idea, but mm. I don't I haven't got around to that yet, and I don't know if I will. Because it'd be cool to have sort of more real-time feedback rather than bashing a key repeatedly to get the meter reading. Uh, but yeah, that, that's about it, man. Everything else, like all my outboard gears, I've memorized the panel layouts and stuff like that. And um, yeah, that's about it, just remembering stuff, as, as you know. So you memorize it as opposed to putting sort of stickers or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, well, they're too, they're too small to put stickers and stuff on. Like, yeah. like the, the um, I'm just looking at like my headphone amp. It's a four-channel headphone amp, and it's the same panel layout repeated four times because it's four channels. Yeah. And, um, like, you couldn't get stickers in around it. So it's just you have to remember there's, you know, next to each input, there's uh, a group of four knobs and a square, and the top two are EQ, bass and treble, and the bottom are gain and output. Mm. Um, you know, and you just sort of, I don't know, you do it a million times, you remember stuff. I really enjoyed talking to Matt, hearing about his experience with a range of music technology and approaches to using it was really encouraging. Listening to him speak to the various strategies he uses was really helpful and also pointed to the importance of having a range of resources available to teach people how to use this technology. This podcast has been funded by the New Zealand Music Commission and brought to you with help from producer Jesse Austin Stewart and Arts Access Aotearoa. I'm Sam Morgan, and this has been the Able Audio Podcast. <laughs>